Thank you for ministry and music. Until we go to be with the Lord, we're called to be faithful. And walking faithfully with the Lord involves being sensitive to God's word. And as we think about scripture, it's not enough to hear. We need to be living it. We need to be applying it, developing lifestyles that display Christ at work in us. Our knowledge, if is not applied, results in deception. As we learn God's word and we apply it, it results in change in our life, being blessed. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching or what to believe, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as we've been discussing the Gospel of Mark, it's not enough to hear, it's not enough to take in. We need to apply it in our life. James 1 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Hebrews talks about the fact that we become mature as we exercise. Exercise is taking scripture and applying it in our lives. So this morning I want to discuss some applications to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. We'll read together verses 1 through 13 of Mark chapter 1. And then look at some possible applications again of verses 9 through 13. Mark 1, we'll begin reading with verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. You I am well pleased. At once a spirit sent him into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. As you look at verses 1 through 13, we find very clearly stated in verse 1 is the fact that Mark is addressing the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. In verses 2 and 3, we find a messenger was to come on the scene who was to prepare the way for Christ. That messenger was John the Baptist, 
who came baptizing in the desert region preaching a message of repentance and forgiveness. Verse 8 says, I baptize you with water, but he, the one who will follow, the one whose way I prepared, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 9 through 13, we find the testimony concerning Jesus Christ. The testimony of his father, you're my son, whom I love with you and I am well pleased. And then we find he's into the desert for 40 days and he is tempted and he is victorious. Because Jesus is God's son, he could do miracles, teach with authority, go to the cross, rise from the dead and so on as is recorded in Mark. So 1 through 13 is the foundation for the rest of the Gospel of Mark. God, or rather Christ, could do what he did because he was God's son. Last week we turned back to Genesis, and also we looked at Matthew chapter 4. We won't turn there this morning, but we contrasted the first Adam and the second Adam being Christ, and what they experienced in their temptation. The first Adam was in the Garden of Eden. The second Adam was in the wilderness. The first Adam was dealing with a serpent, or Satan. The second Adam was dealing with Satan. The first Adam heard God's word. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The second Adam also heard God's word. You're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The first Adam was passive. He didn't resist. The serpent came and tempted Eve. He talked to Eve rather than to Adam, defying God's created order. And Adam passively stood there and did not respond and let the serpent tempt his wife. The second Adam was aggressive. He used God's word. In Matthew chapter 4 and three times, it says that when Christ was tempted, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus knew he was the Son of God. His Father had affirmed that. He acted on that, and he quoted from the Old Testament. It is written. It is written. It is written. The first Adam was silent. The second Adam spoke. There's no record of Adam speaking when Eve was tempted. But he was to be the leader. The second Adam, Christ, spoke. Therefore, he didn't yield to doubt. Whereas the first Adam yielded to doubt. He ate of the fruit with his wife. The second Adam resisted doubt. This Jesus Christ that is recorded in the Gospel of Mark, who is the Son of God, was victorious over Satan when he was tempted in the desert regions. Over and over in Mark's Gospel, it is displayed that he is victorious over Satan. How? He heals people. He casts out demons. 
He's victorious over the spirit world. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 2. We find that Christ was victorious and displayed that as he lived on this earth. But through the cross, he is also victorious. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. The thrust of Colossians is that Christ is the only way to God. In verse 2 it says, For in Christ, as he was on this earth, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Now notice in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. While Christ was on this earth, all deity, the fullness of deity lived in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. The power and authorities there are referring to Satan, his demons. Christ defeated them. We have been given victory. Clearly stated, and you've been given fullness in Christ. We have this fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Therefore, we have victory. Just as Christ responded to temptation because of what he did, we can respond also. Responding to temptation. So we think about how Christ responded. Recognize the enemy's strategy. What did the enemy do? He came to Jesus Christ. If you are the Son of God. That's a direct attack on what the Father had just said. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What did the serpent do to Eve? Did God really say... You know, doubt. He does the same thing today. Then, hear God's word. What does God say? What did Jesus Christ do? He knew what God said. And then he used it. He spoke it. It is written. It is written. And in the process, he resisted doubt as we need to resist doubt. Reaffirm your identity in Jesus Christ. Christ did not have to yield to the serpent because the father had just said, this is my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. I am the son of God. The serpent says, if you are the son of God, I need to respond to that because I am the son of God. What will the serpent do to us? Satan, he will tempt us along with his cohorts to doubt. God, and we need to reaffirm that we're in Christ. If we're believers, we're saints who don't behave like sinners. So let's take a possible application 
we're tempted at times to complain. We may complain about our mate. We may complain about our child. We may complain about our parents. We may complain about the government. We may complain about a teacher. There's just a lot of things that we can complain about. We're prone to complain. How many of us mumbled about the weather in the last two months? Don't raise your hand. I got $100 for everyone that was willing to raise their hands. You know, I could go on a spending spree. But we're complainers by nature. We find fault. Drive up and down the road and we think, oh, why in the world don't they fix these roads? We complain about a lot of things. We're tempted to complain. That's part of being human. Okay, to respond to that, what does God's word say? I'm tempted to complain about Ruth Ann. I'm to love her. I'm to lead her. I'm to model Christ to her. So I'm tempted to complain to about Ruthann either to myself or to someone else or to her. And I think, you know, I'm to love her as Christ loves the church. Satan, get out of here because I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Flee, leave me alone. That's thinking and later on saying what God's word says. You're sitting in school tomorrow and this teacher... Her name's Mrs. Wrights. She comes to class drunk. She did, I had her. I was prone to complain and not listen. So I got in trouble because a friend of mine and I were talking during class one day. This is in seventh grade, got a spanking for that. But we in school would complain about her. What does scripture say? When we're tempted to complain, well, I'm to study as unto God. I'm to respect, in those, respect those who are in authority over me. Whether it be a temptation to complain about a mate, a child, a parent, a teacher, or a government, use God's word. What does God say? And then speak God's word. I'm to love my wife. I'm to lead her. I'm to follow my husband's leadership. I'm to obey and respect my parents. I'm to study as unto God. I assume sometimes if people observe me driving, someone passes me, so they'll say, what's that guy doing? His mouth is going. There's no one in the van with him. Who's he talking to? I'm either resisting the enemy or I'm talking to God. There have been many a time I have said, Satan, you're demons. You're attacking me. Here is what scripture says. Quote scripture and say, leave me alone. Christ did that. And then affirming your identity. 
in Christ, that you're a saint. You're in Christ and you've been blessed. Why do I encourage that? Because Jesus, or God, said, this is my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You're in the midst of temptation, you're resisting the enemy, and you step back and think, I'm a saint. I've been set apart. That changes your identity. Changes how you respond. Let's take another example. We're tempted sometimes not to forgive and not to love. Tempted to not forgive, not to love. No, the devil seeks to bring doubt into us. How can you forgive someone who did so much harm to you or hurt you so deeply? And how can you love them? They don't love you in return. No, the questions are to sow doubt. What does God's word say? Ephesians 4 and verse 32, forgive as God forgave you. I mentioned totally in my Chevelle a number of years ago, the guy that hit me six blocks beforehand went across a set of railroad tracks, saw the light turn yellow, and said I didn't have time to stop. So he didn't even try to slow down. I saw the light turn green as I came up over the hill, and I was going to proceed through. He had no driver's license, drugs and alcohol in the car. He was speeding, and he ran a red light. My car was totaled. He had no insurance. My insurance rates went up 400%. I went to the hearing. He got a little slap on the wrist. I was tempted not to forgive. Yet are you let to love him? See, we're tempted. The enemy works. What does God's word say? Forgive. As God forgives, love as God loves. How did God forgive us? All of our sin is taken care of through the cross. How did he love? He became the sin bearer for us. Use God's word. I am to forgive as God forgave. If I don't forgive, God will not forgive me. Coming from the Gospel of Matthew as well as Luke. I'm to love as God loved. Without love, I am nothing. Quoting scripture, resisting the enemy, don't be afraid to speak scripture. And then, as I said before, in the other temptation, reaffirm your identity. I'm a saint. I'm in Christ. Again, that makes a difference in how we respond. Now back to the gospel, Mark, it says, <clears throat> As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At the beginning of what we call Jesus' pub- public ministry, 
God affirms his identity. You're my son. I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. And it seems to be that God says the same about us, that our identity is important. The identity of Jesus Christ was important to him. The reason Jesus lived and responded as he did in Mark 1, 15 through the end of Mark is because he knew he was God's son. That comes through repeatedly as we'll find as we go through Mark. Who we view ourselves as makes a big difference in how we live and respond. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians was written to a group of carnal believers in Corinth. They were a divided church following various men. They were taking each other to court. They tolerated immorality among one of their members. They had some major marital issues among people. But notice what is said to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and our brother Sothesis, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified. The Greek word there is those holy, those who are saints. Called to be holy together with those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Here he is writing to a group of believers. He's writing to Roaring Brook, for example. We have the Peter followers, the Paul followers, the Apollo followers, and the Christ followers. Some man in our church, because of the nature of it, won't even venture to name a man, is involved sexually with his stepmother. Travis and Laura are taking Bill and Carlene to court. And Jeff and Anita are taking Neil and Don to court. And Alan and Charlotte are in the midst of a court proceeding with Bill and Jane. And Paul says, I'm writing to you who are saints. Our identity, how we think about ourselves, makes a big difference in how we respond in life. So Jesus knew he was a son of God. He saw himself as a son of God. So when tempted by the enemy, he could resist because I am the son of God. So when Paul calls the Corinthians to task and says, now stop being divided, follow Christ. Bring your practice up to your sainthood. When he says, now discipline the man who is living in immorality, bring your practice up to your sainthood. When he says, those of you who are in court, stop going to court. Ask Jordy Lenley. Dylan Sedoti to resolve your problem rather than going before the unsaved to solve your problem. 
Bring your practice up to your sainthood. He calls them to live as saints because in Christ they are saints. That is their identity. Our identity influences how we respond. If I'm getting up tomorrow morning thinking I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I hope I don't sin today, I'm going to live one way. If I get up tomorrow morning and think, by God's grace as I go to work today and as I go to school, I'm a saint, I'm in Christ. The temptation comes, I'm going to respond differently. At least think about responding differently. Because my identity is different. Ephesians 1 through 3. We won't turn there, but in Ephesians 1 through 3, we find that Paul spends three chapters saying to the Ephesians, grasp your identity in Christ. Colossians 1 and 2 spends two chapters saying, grasp your identity in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 through 12, he says, grasp your identity in Christ. Jesus was God's son. As God's son, he died on the cross, rose from the dead, so that we can be called saints. We tend to respond according to how we think about ourselves. We find that Jesus has spent 30 years obeying his parents and then being a carpenter, probably following his father's footsteps. Before he begins his public ministry, what does God say to him? This is my beloved son. Or you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He blessed others. That is, God blessed his son. And in like manner, I would encourage you, and I'm saying this to you as men now, encouraging you as men to bless those in your life. Husband, bless your wife. Do you ever tell your wife, assuming she's a believer, that she's a saint? Honey, I'm just reminding you you're a saint. I am. I don't always behave that way. I didn't say you did. But you're a saint. What is God saying to Jesus? You're my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Thank, be thankful for her. Honey, I'm really thankful for you. She's your helper, a companion, therefore love and lead. If she is to help you, she is to be a companion to you, then love her and lead her. And we guys struggle with that. We'd sooner be like Adam. Let her go ahead and be passive. Men, be a helper. Or help her to be a helper by loving and leading. 
praise her for inner beauty, not merely outward beauty. Many women, I'm not saying all women, will spend time in front of the mirror. No, doing whatever they need to do. And that's fine. And a husband may compliment his wife on her physical appearance. Say, my, you look pretty today. I like that dress. Don't shoot me, women, on this one. Without your makeup, you know, I'll better stop. I'll get myself in trouble. <laughs> but saying, honey, I really appreciate the gentle spirit that you displayed today as we made this decision. You had a gentle spirit. You were very humble in how you responded to one of the kids today. I see in you developing into a Proverbs 31 woman. You bring me joy in my life because of who you are in the inner person. Helping her in her identity. Blessing her. God bless Jesus. Jesus was perfect. The Son of God. How much more do our wives need it, guys? Men, as fathers, bless your children. If they're a believer, reaffirm their sainthood. You ever say to your son or daughter, you know, you repented of sin, you've trusted in Christ, and I just want you to know that you're a saint. I'm a what? You're a saint. Well, you didn't seem to think that yesterday when you were disciplining me. Well, I'm helping you to be more saintly. I'm helping you to bring your practice up to your sainthood. Thankful for them. Help them with their gifts and their abilities. Identify what they are. You know, you're really good at. You're really good at this. Unconditional commitment to them. You ever say to your son or daughter, I just want you to know or write it. I want you to know that I'm unconditionally committed to you. That may be tested. But isn't God unconditionally committed to his children? Expressing that to them. Blessing on them as they move into adulthood. Let's suppose your son or daughter is graduating, saying this to you men from high school. And they're going to be getting a job and moving somewhat into adulthood. How about blessing them as they make, take that step? Just saying, son, daughter, I've taught you. I'm encouraging you to walk with God. I want you to know you have my blessing. I'm committed to you. Here's what I'm proud about when it comes to your life. Jesus is stepping into his public ministry and God says, this is my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When they marry, a blessing. My father and mother were not sure that I should marry Ruth Ann for a number of reasons. 
On my dad's side, it was more than anything else that she was a Baptist and I was a Mennonite. On my mother's side, she was just a little concerned that maybe Ruth Ann didn't have her act quite together. You know, a little on the nervous side and just might not fit the bill for her perfect Dan. I'm speaking from a mother's perspective, okay? I didn't say that was true. And Ruth Ann's concern was that uh, my dad might not accept her. I think she got over mom's part before we get married. And after our ceremony, we went to the back to greet people as they came out. And dad, I'm not sure if he was the first one. I think he was the first one out. And he gave Ruth Ann a big hug and said just a few words, welcome to the family. And Ruth Ann took that, and I believe it was dad's blessing on her to be in the family. If that had not been given to this day, she probably would wonder, what does Dan's dad think? Our kids need our blessing in whatever form that may look like. And that coming from dad, whether it be when they're moving into adulthood, or when they're getting married, or just various ways as they're growing up. And I may have shared this before, but I'll repeat it as we close. My dad wanted at least one of his sons to be a farmer. My older brother decided not to farm, ended up in business for himself. My next brother, Bob, was more intellectual and he wanted to go to college. He despised farming, but he did what he had to do when he was at home. I came along and half enjoyed farming and thought about farming. But after working for dad for a year, I thought, I don't want to pursue farming. My younger brother didn't end up farming, and my sister, I don't think, ever considered being involved in farming in any way. But towards the end of the year that I was working for dad, we were in the barn one day, and we ended up talking We ended up talking about what I was going to do with my life. And it was at that time I said, Dad, I don't think I'm going to farm. I said, in fact, I'll probably end up going to college and I would like to go into some type of agricultural missions. I don't remember his exact words, but he said, Dan... Whatever you choose, I want you to know that I committed to you. You have my blessing. And I'll stand behind you. He honored that. But that freed me to not to have to please Dad, but to please Christ and be sensitive to Him. Little did he know at that time that I would end up marrying this Baptist girl and go to a Baptist school and become a Baptist pastor. But I remember being in the hospital in Geisinger Medical Center 
just dad and I, and we were talking. And that was soon after he knew that he didn't, potentially didn't have a lot of time to live. And he said, Dan, will you have my funeral? What was he doing blessing me? Dan, I would sooner you conduct my funeral service than anyone else. He didn't say it in this way, but I blessed you back there in the barn, and I'm blessing you today. God said, this is my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Guys, our wives, our children need our blessing. You say they're not perfect, they do wrong. Part of blessing them is to confront wrong also, but letting them know that we're still committed to them. Mark chapter 1, 1 through 13. It's not enough to know about it. Live it. Let's pray together.